Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Kathy Sheridan. Another year over, a new one just begun, as John and Yoko once sang, if you ever heard of them. In this episode, our panel take a look ahead at what is in store for women in 2020. What will be the issues that affect us? Will women have more of an impact in politics in Ireland after the general election? What books by women will we be reading? And what are the personal goals of our panel now that we have 2020 vision? It's going to be hard getting used to the fact that we're now in 2020. It sounds a bit futuristic, but it's here. And so is our panel, Syrian-born journalist Razan Ibrahim, Irish Times social affairs correspondent Kitty Holland and Irish examiner columnist Alison O'Connor. You're all very welcome. So we're going to talk about what's going to happen next year, what we think is going to happen next year, Alison. And we have an absolute bonanza of elections. Is that how, how we're going to look at it? Yes, Cathy, we have. I mean, for someone in my position uh, whose main focus is, is politics, there's going to be a couple of Christmases coming together if you're a political anorak like myself. So it's a general election year. And um, so for somebody like me, it means that there will be a very frenzied six weeks, um, which I'm quite exhausted at the prospect of contemplating. Um, but generally going on past history will really enjoy and I think it's an interesting, it's going to be an interesting election in that if you look with the election in 2011, you know, where we were just so, sort of at the lowest of the low, um, you know, kind of financially. Then we had the one in 2016 where uh, Fine Gael were basically telling us to keep the recovery going and uh, were told pretty sharpish by a lot of people, particularly outside of Dublin, that they hadn't felt that recovery. recovery yes. So in some ways you can say it's going to be a peacetime election. Uh, and yet we've Brexit looming and the and and the prospect of that. And I suppose when I've been pondering it, um, what I've about what uh, it's going to be like. Um, it's we're starting a new decade, and you're thinking, what sort of a country do you do we want to live in for the next decade? What's important to us? I think we are all certainly not all. Uh, many people are far far better off than they were at the start of the last decade. Uh, but still, we have major, major issues in health and housing. Um, and we've one party who's been in government for a decade and they will have a real credibility issue to say we didn't solve it now, but we will be able to then. And then you have another party, uh, the main opposition, uh, Fianna Fáil, saying we'll sort out all your problems. And then you have the small party, smaller parties like Labour, uh, Sinn Féin saying uh, and we'll keep the other crowd honest. So we'll um, you know we do have we do have decisions to make and on the basis of what we had been seeing in the the run up to Christmas and that where you had uh, Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin 
um, basically indulging in, you know, kind of schoolyard taunts at each other. Uh, one would hope that the election will happen quickly and we'll all be put out of our misery. And they'll all behave just like grown-ups. Now, Kitty, the, the analysis analysis there is interesting because we, ha- we have a government that, that has basically been in power for 10 years, uh, during which they could have done almost anything, really. Um, OK, the money wasn't there a lot of the time, but nonetheless, they had a pretty free run at the beginning. People were prepared for a lot of, to do a bit of hard work. Um, and when we look at them now and we think, um, why would they be re-elected? But then we look at Boris Johnson and we think they were in power for 10 years and yet they had a landslide. So what's your feeling about what's going to happen? Gosh, um, well, I, I think there is going to be a sense that Fine Gael are have got very cosy. I mean, we're seeing the scandals with sort of um, with scandals, if you're maybe that's putting it too strongly, but Maria Bailey and the um, Dara Murphy, um, and there's a sort of sense of entitlement to power um, that people, which I think the opposition will would be wise to try and you know play that and say that this is the they've had they've had long enough and they haven't solved all these haven't solved lots of problems and they've got far too cozy um i think it's i think it's going to be very interesting looking at the smaller parties actually because um i think for people who've done well out of the recovery it'll be all about the economy um and i think they'd probably be able to Fianna Gael will be able to argue the economy is doing quite well um, but for people who have not done well out of the recovery, like the escalating numbers of homelessness, the people who are still waiting to get ch- school places for their children, um, you know, small towns down the country and in the West, which are still half the shops are boarded up. You know, I think the others, the smaller parties, um, I think it's be really interesting to look at Sinn Féin to see how they do, because they seem to be on a trajectory that was up, up, up and now have not done so well yeah. or and don't seem to be doing so well. And I think a kind of uh, there's a scepticism coming in maybe about them that wasn't there. Um, and it's I think it's going to be very difficult for people like Labour and the Social Democrats to actually define what they're about um, because they... Um, have gone so centre, I suppose, the Labour Party in the way that the Labour Party in Britain did under Blair and they've kind of followed the Blair. Um, but they, they are trying to regain a, a, a bit of a left um, image as well. So, I mean, well, between the Greens, the to, Greens yeah. will do well. And also trying, I think, to uh, get a bit more um, cohesion on the on the left, which yeah. it's sort of nonsensical in many ways how fractured uh, things are for us on the left. And yes, I, and, I didn't even again, mention the, the, the Greens. UK, in, I mean, yes. they're going to be, um, they are the the big imponderable in the election in that the sense is they're going to do, ex- they're going to do well uh, and possibly exceptionally well Um and and it could be real power brokers in any new arrangement. Razan, does this all look like very harmless fun to you compared to the the world view of Syria and Yeah, I mean um, struggles for democracy. Exactly from 2011 till now. Uh the Syria war and and case is only getting more and more complicated and we are not seeing any hope of solving this problem and and at least stopping the killing and start a new uh, process of political movement and political solution. But this year, like 2020, I feel that it's going to be the beginning of the end of the Syrian war. Uh, Because, like, I'd say any war, especially when it comes to civil war, 
we can't live like this forever. Like there will be people and parties will be tired of fighting. And I think we will reach this point and there could be a settlement between the international powers who are interfering because it is actually affecting everybody. So this could be a stage where there is a new American elections, there are a new political system and they say... Are you being optimistic about the American election? uh, In a way that they want to solve something during the election. They want to make it as um, a card in the American elections when they say, yes, we have as well... Uh, talked about Syria during the um, presidency, like 2016, and now we are trying to solve it. This, I, I, I am hoping that I'm, I'm, I'm actually just trying to find a small hope that this could be uh, um, a space where they are to, to, they are trying to find solution for it, just because of opinion, public opinion, and trying to uh, say, hey, we achieved something at least, you know. So. This is the only hope I honestly have. But um, I'd say we always try to find one hope, yeah, catch find, it, find stick to it and yeah. <laughs> yes. work for it. And this is one. The other one, I'd say it's the refugee crisis because it is getting bigger and bigger and more complicated. And especially the refugees in Europe, in Greece, like thousands on one island only, 37,000 refugees have been trapped. So there should be a real solution for this huge, huge problem. That all sounds fairly hopeless, Alison. Will we get a new American president for a start? Or is Trump, what's your feeling about Trump? I mean, in my detailed preparation for this podcast, uh, it did strike me that uh, in terms of the next decade and having hope um, when you the the refugee crisis, uh, as Roseanne points out, which is much of it stemming from the climate crisis, um, and uh, those are two things that it's very difficult not to feel overwhelmed by, and both on a sort of a global level and a personal level, thinking what can you do that would make any difference, and is it all sort of hopeless. Uh, And that's going to be a key thing for me as well, personally, actually, in the next general election as to what sort of a stall the various parties will lay out in terms of what they're, you know, going to do in uh, in terms of climate. Um, And then when you mention something like the American election, I mean, we've seen now that we have Boris Johnson in situ uh, for the next while in the UK. And there is, despite uh, Donald Trump having been impeached, a very strong or distinct possibility that he could return to the to the White House. So, I mean, you you look back at the start of the last decade, Barack Obama and all, and that marvelous sense of hope, the audacity of hope. the audacity of hope that was that was there. And um, it's you're kind of looking around, aren't you? You're looking, you you know, you're we've a, a map of the world at home in the in the kitchen. Uh, in in an effort to try and educate the kids about various places, and if you look at it and you think, well, from where is our hope going to come? Yeah. Is it? Uh, could it, could it's, it possibly it's not, come? It's not easy to find it. Could it possibly come from the Democrats? Is 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 is, is Joe Biden it now, or is Elizabeth Warren still in the running? Is there any hope at all I, of a woman? I mean, in it's there? Um, you see, none. You see, the, you can't help but think that the Democrats they haven't learned that many lessons. I have great respect, I have to say, for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but I think that in terms of electoral strategy and working out how you're going to beat Trump, 
really is Joe Biden that person? At least Elizabeth Warren is a little bit different, but I think actually faces the the burden of being female in, in, in trying to put herself forward in that election. And they just haven't come up with anything. They haven't come up with any kind of unique selling point or anything that makes it that makes it seem different or better or that brings the that brings the country on. See, I think, Kitty, part of the problem there, though, is and gosh, it's 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 universal, really, is that there is this fierce pull um, on the left or the centre left, which we see being played out in in the UK at the moment, Mm. where there are about 12 different stripes of left. It's the same in the States. People are terrified of the socialist left, as they call it, which is basically Finland when you think about it. Um, And then we have the far right that we all know about. But have you any hope for for how that's playing out? Is there any chance that they will all get sense? I think we're looking at the sort of implosion in a way of of democracy and capitalism really beginning to... to I, there's a sense almost the society sort of circling the drain. It's becoming so nasty and bitter and fractured and divided. And we see it in England now with, and Britain, which is just falling apart in terms of, of how divided and angry and nasty the politics has become. How, you know, conservatives of old are looking at their party and saying, that's not the decent party I joined. And we're seeing it in America. And I think Trump will be returned. I think you're, there's a really racist, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, nasty politics, which has become mainstream in America. I would be worried about seeing some of that now. I meant to say that um, in my last contribution about um, about racism and sexism coming into our election. Um, and uh, we've seen candidates do not very well, but still get gathering votes and having big followings on social media here. And I think that we are probably going to see, to be honest, at least another decade of this, probably maybe even a bit longer. And I think our big hope really is young people. And by young people, I'm talking about people who are nine and ten now. <laughs> and that's because they it's when the world is going to affect them over so badly. Society is going to treat them so badly in terms of housing jobs, healthcare, pensions, security, anything like that. It's going to be such a struggle to survive for them unless they've got independent money behind them. And I think we are going to see the young people and the climate crisis are going to contribute to that, who are going to rise up and go, we're not bloody having this. And I think I think there is an, uh, a sort of society eating itself at the moment. And but politics is expressing that. And it's, it's horrible. Um, but I, I think our hope is our young people, because yeah, I think they're going to be treated. Razan, you, you actually sort of exemplify this, this movement to actually do something positive in your com- uh, community sponsorship activities. Do you feel that this is something that can, that can really expand and, and, and yeah. assume critical mass, if Absolutely. you like? Absolutely. For example, last year, uh, the first family arrived, it was um, like uh, they live in Meath, that was the first family. Now we have more than six and seven. Next year, we will have more than 10, more than uh, like 15 families. And I think the like Irish people, because I believe actually this program is perfect for the Irish society. The Irish society in general, no matter what we criticize, it is still positive. It is still welcoming and inclusive in general. And this is from my experience and from my many people's experiences, you know. So I think this is a very good example how Irish community can get together, uh, organize themselves 
provide funding, provide housing for, for the people and be their best friends. Because the most important aspect of this program is when refugees come to Ireland, there is little support in terms of integration and in terms of like getting into the society, language, schools, health system. This program, actually, the Irish people or, or this group would be their best friends to help them, to integrate them, to be their buddies. You know, like that is really important. And it is going to expand. And we have seen the first examples, very successful examples. And we have seen the family from Don Chaklan. Uh, they were actually like featured, featured in, in on TV and on the newspapers. Like, and when I talk to them all the time, they said, we are lucky to come to this program because this program is only for 18 months. After 18 months, we say goodbye. Now it's your life. It is your... Or they hand the house over to someone else, do they? Uh, it's, we say goodbye to the family in a way. Now we make we are sure that you are settled, you are integrated, you have your own life, you have uh, jobs, your kids are at school. Now we leave you alone. We gave you the first push, the first step, and it is time for you to live on your own. The, why it is important? Because I believe the Irish government, when they bring refugees to here, they don't do this, this integration. They don't empower. Some of them are very vulnerable refugees. They have experienced torture, killing and war. You know, like it is beyond. And there is a little of um, like help to them. Whereas this program would kind of really bridge the gap and, and make them start uh, from day one, you know, talk to Irish people, talk to the community, integrate, um, like do projects with them. And it has been a real success. And do you get any state funding at all for that? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. actually the programme. It is um, a combination of uh, NGOs and, and human rights company. Uh, like, um, yeah, it uh, uh, Yeah, it's between Amnesty. Ireland, uh, United Nations in Ireland, um, NASC in Cork, and then we have the Irish, uh, the Department of Justice. So there is all working together to make this happen. And uh, as I said, like it is really positive, and the examples, the positive stories we are hearing from the families, refugees, families arriving to here really amazing and is an example to expand more and more and it will be I, I think, think if to, to keep up the positivity on a slightly different note you know it, it is it's it's difficult at the moment globally to to put a positive spin or have that sense of hope but I do think that both us and our politicians you know I mean we're squeezed in the middle there were the sandwich the meat in the sandwich between the UK and the US where things have not been pretty politically over the last or even on a societal level couple of years. And we've held it together pretty well, you know. I know we're concerned about the next election and very rightly so. But our politics has been, you know, pretty much held to the to the centre. Exactly. And That's very, very yeah, important and point. I, yeah, exa- and I Absolutely. think that there is generally a decency amongst our politicians. And I think that a lot of them, I know there's been a lot of bad publicity with about politicians, um, you know, insurance claims or claiming legitimate, albeit legitimately claiming expenses, but being, you know, being absent for a lot of it. But most of the people that are up there in Leinster House are there to do a job and to help people and are sincere 
in in what they do. Yeah, and a I tremendous think that, selling job with that one. Alice. Yeah, but I think yeah, but you see, I I think that uh, there's a bit of a trigger. We've always had this, and I think more, a lot of people do. It's not exclusively to Irish people, but you know, this kind of all politicians, they're a pack of wasters. Um, I admire anyone who puts themselves forward for office. I have to be honest. I think particularly now with all the the abuse that uh, that they can get on, on on social media and that it can be fairly. It can be you know the terms and conditions are pretty good, but it can be fairly thankless. And um, you are facing the prospect of an election possibly at any time. Uh, you know where you can be booted out. It's it it can be a fairly. Um, uh, it can feel like a very impermanent career. Um, so I think in that way, both we deserve credit for largely the people who we have previously elected and they deserve credit uh, for keeping us kind of on a fairly um, centre ground when all around us have been going quite mad. I think, Kitty, part of the problem, of course, is are those almost iconic problems we have now, one of which is homelessness. Yeah. I mean, no matter what you say about any politician, no matter how wonderful you think he is or how well he's comported himself, say, in the Brexit negotiations, they, the last resort is, yeah, but what about homelessness? What about the health system? Um, do you see any balance there at all? Do you see the good with the bad? No, I just see that it's um, that, that is abject failure into, and the housing crisis is um, just getting worse and worse. It's not getting any better. And, and I think the approach um, that is being taken by the current government is deeply flawed. Um, the Rebuilding Ireland programme, which was launched in 2017, um, is so predicated on um, reliance on the private market to deliver not only housing for people who want to obviously to want to buy housing, but for people who are dependent on um, state assistance to house themselves. Um, and that the private, you know, the market is never going to deliver housing in adequate numbers to 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 so to the people who need social and affordable housing, and that's where that's where the problem is. And they they have to absolutely have to dump that um, reliance on the private market if they want to solve this housing crisis. And, and they're is. not going to do that. And you know we've seen the, the the numbers of homelessness go up and up and up, and rents go up and up and up. And um, it's so I see no good in the government's approach to it at all. And the government keeps saying it's supply and demand, supply and demand. Supply and demand does not apply to social housing because the market is only going to deliver where the profits are. The market is going to deliver there for student housing, hotels, offices and luxury apartments. It has no interest in providing housing to single mothers who um, can't go out to work because they can't afford childcare. It has no interest in delivering housing to immigrant families in low paid jobs. It has no interest in delivering housing to a single mother in an OK job. It, it wants to deliver housing to wealthy, wealthy tourists, wealthy students and wealthy people who want to live in the city centre. I do think that one of the plus points and the decency of, of Irish people is that even people who are happily housed or, you know, who are well into the paying off their mortgage or whatever, um, you know, who aren't directly affected by the housing crisis, feel very badly for those who often, you know, it has to be a problem that directly affects you, that you care about it or that you'd vote on the basis of that in the, in the election. I think that uh, in this instance, even for those who aren't directly affected, and an awful lot of people are, but they will be voting, thinking, because people believe that it's a very basic thing of the decency of a society that you live in, um, that people can uh, either afford housing or, or to rent at a decent, reasonable level, 
or that the state provides it. Yeah, because a lot of us have children now at that age who are trying to rent and who are appalled at some of the quality on offer um, and the size of the rents being asked for. I mean, it is appalling. Now, there are very good landlords, as I happen to know, but there are also really, really terrible ones. And I suppose what we all want for 2020 is for that to be just taken by the scruff of the neck and dealt with and not in an ideological way. Absolutely. What I would like to add here, it is the crisis of the country, homelessness. What we need and what it should be done, more movement in the street, like a real pressure from the Irish people in the street asking for a change and asking for more, uh, like listening listening to the people. Hey, listen to us. We are here on the street, thousands of th- thousands, marching in Dublin, making pressure on the government to make solution. Because I believe anything you want to solve, you can if you have a political will. Yeah, it's, and it's true, Razan. I, I suppose my little, little, little resort at, at, at times is we've seen marches, obviously, we've seen uh, activists uh, for homelessness, but we've never seen marches of the size of the water charges protest, Kitty. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I do think the water charges protest was a sort of, it was an issue of austerity, really, rather than it's just possible, just yeah. about just about water charges. I just charges. wish they had made that clearer at the time and not made it such a single issue thing. Well, I, 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 think, I, I think people were determined thing. to beat the water charges. I think people, and the no way we won't, I think people really meant it, but they meant it because this is the last straw and we're just not having this, you know, because we've taken all the rest and it was at that stage, whatever, four or five years of austerity and we're like, we're not having any more. But I think the other thing about housing is that it's it's quite it affects people in different ways. Whereas water charges is one tangible issue that everyone could grab hold of, whereas housing affects you know from the rough sleeper to the young couple who can't get you know can't get on the housing ladder and everything in between. Like it, it I think it, actually the housing crisis probably affects everyone around this table whether they know it or not because Absolutely. we know someone who's been yeah. affected by it even if we're okay in our homes. See, I don't think that point is being made clearly and enough too, in many it's, cases. So it's too yes. um, disparate. I suppose an issue yes. for people to get around because they're they've got different they've got different problems in that in that crisis and need a different solution. Mm. I mean, there was a march that was organised by families in in hubs that was um, a couple of weeks ago on the streets, and it was probably about a thousand people. But there was no trade unions there. There were no political parties. There were just it was mainly mothers and kids and their and their parents, and they were uh, and. What was striking was the the absence of any kind of, you know, trade union banners or anything or any middle class kind of activists with them. These were poor people out on the streets, desperate for something to, and really angry. And I think we might see more of that. OK, well, w- w- if we do see more of it, uh, Razan, I hope we see it in numbers, as you're suggesting, because we do need a proper movement. Unless between now and election time, we the government suddenly decides we're going to, become to do something. Wing. Yeah, I don't think so. Is that a possibility, Alice? Well, the problem for them is that um, even if they were, for instance, uh, to come up with something radical or something different, nothing happens instantly with housing. So you'd be taking it on faith and trust. And it's um, whether people will take it on faith and trust um, from a government that's been in power for a decade. The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Moving on to another mass movement, (laughs) Me Too. 
and the trial of Harvey Weinstein coming up in a few days' time and criminal charges. Rosanne, are you keeping up with this? I'm keeping up with this, not all, all the details of it, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it was like it shaked the whole um, like community and the whole industry that it's it's been happening for years and years and nobody was talking or nobody was brave to step and talk about it. So I think that was a really strong um, moment in this movement and just to say to for one brave woman to step and then a second woman, it gives a hope and courage for other women to step and then another woman to step. So this is what I believe like the first person to step and to speak about it really brave and strong woman and i uh, it like re- it's this movement as well make a a discussion world discussion on how uh, the industry is dealing with women how they are using women and and like for example we wouldn't see Brad Pitt being subjected to that or George Clooney or other like celebrities whereas this is real particular women uh, issue that is because she is a woman, she was exposed to that. So this year it's going to be a year of um, justice and a year of uh, structuring the whole system and the year of women being brave and stop the any um, similar incident or any similar like stories being happening. Well, I suppose the way the year ended, Alison, was with with um, Harvey Weinstein settling with what thirty. Yeah, and I mean, it's, you're yet, yet again, you know, wondering at the the workings of the American uh, justice system, and your heart sinks at the notion that money can exchange hands. And I'm not saying that these women don't deserve compensation, but that money can exchange hands and that, you know, but justice is not seen to be done. However, there are still criminal proceedings. Uh, so we must put our hope in those. But I mean, I think with the, I mean, the Weinstein thing, I think has whatever happens has been so important. And the Me Too movement has been so important. But I mean, it is, it's breathtaking to see this man truly thinks you know, that old adage, denial is a river in Egypt. I feel like the uh, forgotten man, he said. Yeah, I know. And, and I made f- more movies directed yeah. by women and about women than any filmmaker. And I'm talking about 30 years ago. I'm not talking about now when it's Vogue. I did it first. I pioneered it. Yeah, that I mean, is his that, current I, mindset. Yeah, I see that as the ungrateful bitch approach. You know, I the opportunities I gave her. And we have... I'd say there isn't a woman around this table who in some guys or semblance, whether it's some guy trying to chat you up who you might politely, you know, say no, thank you. And then turns on you because, you know, you're only an ugly old cow anyway. And you should have been grateful for the offer of the drink. You know what I mean? So it's it's the, all the varying levels of that. Um, one can only hope that... Um, Given all that's gone on and the, the global publicity that people see these efforts from from Weinstein for for what they are. I know? hope they do. He is anyway, just to, to, to recap on that, um in a few days' time he's going to come before the Manhattan Supreme Court on two charges. Allegations of sexual assault in two thousand and six and uh, the rape of a wo- another woman in 2013. He denies all wrongdoing. This is going to be... And it it's seems, going to tell yeah, a story, It does seem think, depressingly few charges considering all that, all that went on.
And it is disappointing, all those settlements. I don't blame the women for taking the money, but it has taken a lot of the heat out of it. Anyway, let's move on to much cheerier matters. We have a number of of, of, of uh, Irish debuts this year among women writers. Um, we'll begin with mention of a great friend of this podcast, Dolly Alderton, who has her first novel out next year called Ghosts. And uh, we're pretty excited about that after the success of her memoir, Everything I Know About Love. And there is a woman also cited as the next Sally Rooney, who's called Nisha Dolan, uh, with a book called Exciting Times. She's from Dublin and she wrote the book while working as an English teacher in Hong Kong. Um, And the book is set in Hong Kong and follows an Irish uh, TEFL, foreign language teacher, Razan. Very interesting. <laughs> I will definitely yes, read it. A, um, a Julian, an English banker, and Edith, a Hong Kong-raised lawyer, and it explores love, class, colonialism, language, and more. We also have a book coming out by a woman called Michelle Gallen, called Big Girl, Small Town, which I think sounds really exciting. It's set in a borderlands town in Northern Ireland in 2004. Uh, its protagonist is the odd reserved Magella, who was thrust into the spotlight of her gossip-fueled community when her grandmother is murdered. Now, the thing about Michelle Gallen is she was born in the north and grew up in Tyrone during the Troubles, and her small town was at one point the most bombed in Western Europe, right on the border. So I think this could be very interesting. Well, it certainly sounds like she has an extraordinary amount of um, of raw material. Indeed. Um, personally, I have to say, I'm looking, I don't know whether she's going to have anything um, substantial coming out, uh, but I so enjoyed Sinead Leeson's Constellations this year. It was just magnificent and appears to be getting uh, the international recognition that it deserves. Um, so I'm sure, you know, it would take a longer space of time for Sinead to, to produce another book, but... Um, you know, any any other writings that will uh, that will be, be coming from her will be greatly welcomed by me. Uh, yeah, I haven't read that, but I, yeah, I think that book fabulous. does sound interesting it does, because it? it sounds maybe like the Anna Burns Milkman. Milkman, exactly. And we're yeah. starting to see women writers coming out of the North now who grew up during the Troubles, or I suppose Anna Burns is a bit older. She was, you know, talking about the 70s. But um, from the perspective of people who lived through it as opposed to who were active in, in it. And I think that's good. I think we're going to see a lot of um, of literature along that. And and just as the stories of life come out and, you know, even the success of Derry Girls, which is a kind of a, a, a take on yes. living through the troubles from an ordinary community or ordinary and an people. extraordinary take. Is that coming back? Does anybody know? I don't know. I think it has been commissioned for another. I really run. hope so, because that was one of the high points, really, of of of. And there's one. Years. I mean, I was in my sister's house last week. She's just moved house, and uh, she's been she's uh, she just had some surgery, um, and she's recovering. So I was doing a lot of the 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 domestic work, and I was making toast. And afterwards, she said to me, "Will you put the toaster back in the cupboard?" Oh, she protested. <laughs> I said, "Really." So it's one of those moments that is just going to live on. I think it was, I mean, it was the line of all lines. And she hadn't watched Derry Girls, actually. So she wasn't, she was kind of looking at me saying, you know, what what are you talking about? Rosanna, are you familiar with any of this? That I was going to ask, what does that mean? (laughs) Because in Derry Girls, they put a thing, it was in a classroom, up on a blackboard, the differences between Protestants and Catholics. And one of the lines was that Protestants put their toasters back in the in the press when they have finished. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and my sister's is even on a little tray. 
I suppose to catch the crumbs. Wow. <laughs> wow. This is so educational. We must have her in. Doesn't that <laughs> doesn't happen in my house, I can tell you that much. Well, it just goes to show how educational Dairy Girls was, apart from being very funny. Um, now, another author I want to mention is a woman called Rachel Donoghue, uh, with a book called The Temple House Vanishing. And it follows two girls who are infatuated with their art teacher. When I was at boarding school, I had a crush on the maintenance man. So this is but obviously... But he had access to the cupboards. <laughs> Where the toasters were not kept. Um, anyway, the art teacher and one of the girls disappear. And years later, a journalist, there's a hero journalist in this story, yay, uh, who uncovers the troubled past of the school and determines to resolve the mystery. Which sounds like a good old read, actually, if it turns out like that. Uh, Rachel Dunn, who's from Dublin, and she began writing short stories Nine years ago, while on maternity leave. So what are you all at, you women out there who are having babies? Why aren't you writing best-selling books and short stories? It could be a very inspirational moment in be. her life. Are you know? thinking of writing a book, Reza? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I honestly recently started to think, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I had, even when I was in Syria, I wrote short stories in Arabic. And uh, like I had like really specially... Uh, things directed to women, um, honor killing, for example, uh, other really hard feminism, um, like like really problems, and then and I wrote short stories in Arabic. Now recently, just recently, and I'm just saying, like the last week, there is sparkle is coming to my head that I should maybe start again, but in English this time. Okay, publishers, yeah. are you listening out there? <laughs> there is so much talent in this studio today. Um, so Rachel Dunn, whose book is called The Temple House Vanishing, and it sounds like a very interesting year all in all. So sport actually promises to be one of the high points of 2020, regardless of what happens elsewhere in the world. The Irish women's hockey team is the first team, male or female, to make the Olympics, Kitty. Isn't yeah. that exciting? It is, it is. And, and I wouldn't claim to be a big, you know, follower of... God, I was made play it as a secondary school student and hated it. Um, so I sort of have a natural slight aversion to hockey. But watching the team and watching them, you know, qualify and do so well, do you know what strikes me, really struck me, and um, was to see women's bodies on the television looking powerful and strong and just pugnacious and going into battle and beautiful and being there just amazingly wonderful women's bodies doing something other than titillate men but actually they're out there to win on behalf of um of, I mean that might sound a bit odd but I just no, it, no, it really here, here. I really thought god they're fantastic and they're stunning and they're beautiful and they're beautiful because they're powerful mm. Um, so to see them go on and do well at the Olympics would be fantastic because, you know, fair play to, I think they're inspiring, inspiring to young women to get, you know, to be strong and be good and get out there and fight their corner and, and, and show us all it can be done, um, in a way that the world maybe didn't give them credit for or didn't believe that they could do it. And no. I think women making breakthroughs in sport is really, really important. And they beat Canada in a sudden death penalty shootout uh, in Donnybrook, which was quite, when you think about Canada and its devotion to hockey, it's quite amazing. Uh, we also have Katie Taylor, of course, who really is thrice champion of the world. I, I wish, I mean, I, I don't like boxing at all, be it male or female. 
But when it comes to Katie Taylor, I so wish I did because I think that as a person, as an athlete, I think she's incredible. You know, and I think that her achievements are amazing, her determination. She's even obviously had a, overcome a lot of personal adversity, the situation with her dad. Um, she is an incredible woman. Um, but the but always for me is this idea of two people going into a ring and baiting 10 different types of lard out of each other uh, just doesn't appeal to me. But it does have rules, you know, I because mean, boxing does have, like there's some people regard it almost as an art, you know, it's not like MMA or, you yeah. know, there are. No, I've never, I mean, I, sure, I, I, I abhor um, but it's MMA also, is on a whole other level yeah. for me. But the rules don't matter to me. It still means you can punch someone in the face. You can still split someone's lip. You, people can still get brain damage. People, do, so, people get you know. hurt in rugby too, you know. Well, um, I mean, I don't personally, I wouldn't. Well, I don't set out to big, punch somebody in the eye. But though, people get very, I mean, the, the thing about yeah. boxing and it's it's a very kind of under-respected, I think, sport in this country, particularly when, in terms of funding. Um, so many boxing clubs up and down the country, which could be the only outlet for young working class boys in particular um, in some of these areas. I live really run on a shoestring. And, you know, Katie Taylor comes from a working class background. Um, I think it's a sport that we should be giving more to, um, in putting more investment into and maybe I don't I don't follow boxing I don't claim to understand it in a big way but I know that kids get an awful lot out of it in terms of discipline um you know devo- devotion and uh getting involved in something um and I think it's it's, it's a good sport you know I think we should have more time for it and I wouldn't let my son play rugby because I think it's a violent thuggish sport Dear. Okay. Mm. Well, we'll talk about darts in that case, which is not <laughs> at all thuggish or or um, steeped in pop culture, Kitty. But Fallon Sherrock ge- genuinely did yeah, achieve something in pop important. Culture. Um, yeah, but she's uh, yeah, she, she was she's brilliant. I just um, was watching her there on the news before Christmas, and she um, she won in a very male dominated pint swilling pub smoking again a very working class sport. Um, very d- male dominated and she again like the women's hockey shows you can do it get in there and you know you're just as able to do it as the, as the boys yeah and or, she or does the fifth woman to compete in the world dart mm. championships and the first woman to beat a man in the world dart and the thing is watching her win it was in a big huge not quite a stadium but a huge hall where there were thousands of men cheering her on you know there was um, she was the absolute darling of the room and she um, and she yeah, went on to glory. She did mention network. getting some some blowback actually on social media, she did but I mean, we just that. have to accept that, don't that. we? Now, I'm going to mention some of the Irish Times Sports People of the Year uh, women because I think they deserve a shout. I'm just going to mention a few of them: Phil Healy Athletics, Kira McGean Athletics, Rachel Blackmore Horse Racing, Leona Maguire Golf, Jenny Egan Canoeing, Katie Taylor, of course, Kate O'Connor, Razidat Adeleke, Sanita Puspure. Neil Kilkenny, Camogie, Lindsay Davy, Gaelic football, Denise O'Sullivan. They are all winners for each month of the year in the Irish Times Sports Awards. And we take our hats off to all of them. And to the likes of Fallon Sherrock. And the Irish hockey team are going to do it. Some of the women I look forward to seeing in action this year uh, is Sabine Weyand, who is the punchy, blunt German woman who became the EU Director General for Trade who was the mastermind behind Michelle Barnier, the Brexit chief negotiator. And I look forward, she's inclined to talk out loud and give her opinion. I look forward to hearing a lot more for her as this as this uh, trade 
negotiation, for want of a better word, picks up between the UK and the EU. Um, Brenda Hale, the UK Supreme Court president, is going to retire this she year. She of the brooch fame. Yeah. She of the spider brooch fame. Um, she will be missed. Uh, Emily O'Reilly was just re-elected EU ombudsman, which is another win for Ireland, in my view. Um, and so we have many things to look forward to this year, really, in spite of the gloom. So, Alison, we're going to look at your goals. Do you intend to become a senior EU negotiator this year? Well, I suppose that would depend on... Um, the money. The money and um, how impatient I get with my children. <laughs> well, actually, it's, that it's would be a, a very threat. handy it's way out. It's a bad threat. It's a no. new one for my lucky on the hot press. If only I could find a key for the hot press. Um my goal, I guess, is that you're mentioning the hockey team at the Olympics there. For somebody in my position, the general election is like the Olympics. Um, so uh, it's to, you know, for that to happen, to cover it, to enjoy it. Um, and for it to, uh, I suppose, to feel afterwards that whatever way we do it, that it's a good result for the country. And that it's not like the last time where we had the interminable negotiations, that it's in some way decisive, you know, and that uh, they all end up going back into Leinster House and that we have a government. Have you a feeling about where how it's going to go? Hmm, it's an interesting question. I guess I, we've mentioned it earlier, the idea of Fine Gael being in government for so long and still trying to make, uh, what's the word, new wine out of, oh, what is it, old bottles, new wine, you know, whatever that phrase is. Um, but yet, so there's that. And yet we haven't really seen the colour of Fianna Fáil's money in terms of what they're going to offer. So you can never tell what's going to happen. You can, it sounds trite to say that, but, um, you know, how Leo Varadkar gave an interview before Christmas to Brendan O'Connor uh, on Radio 1 on the Marion Finucane show, where he really sounded like he'd gotten out of the wrong side of the bed. Uh, for a guy who tells people they should be getting up early in the morning, I thought it was definitely the wrong look. Um, and, uh, you know, if that was for in- and I think that's what his colleagues would worry about. You know, when he's on form, it can be great, you know, and uh, can perform well. Um, but for too, too often, those kind of things can happen and nobody's sure why or what yeah, it is that people makes should him tick or makes him cranky or yeah. whatever. People should remember Brian Cowan and Gargalgate yeah. and take their cue from that. Yes, well I suppose one thing I would wish actually for, for, for this year is con- that Brian Cowan will continue on his road to back to um, hopefully back to, to good health. Uh, and I suppose it's the point being there about Leo Varadkar and uh, the uncertainty is that Mihal Martin has been around a long time and he has fought a number of elections and he's previously fought one as the leader of two, isn't it? As the leader of Fianna, Fianna Fáil and he is a good electoral campaign performer. So in that respect, he's more of a cert. He's such a survivor. It's extraordinary. Roseanne, have you a goal this year? I several have, of them. I have several goals, <laughs> exactly. So uh, number one, I would say to less social media, less mobile and more human interaction. Uh, the other one is uh, this year, I would like to actually highlight and speak more about the inspirational stories of women inside their countries, inside Syria, inside Sudan, inside Egypt, so who are making uh, change, who are actually leaders in their community and changing the society, the constitution and laws. My goal is, if I can highlight these stories in documentary, 
that would be a real big achievement. I am I'm working towards it, so hopefully it's going to happen. And the last one, and it is something very close to my heart, is to see my mom and dad. Uh, in 2020, I haven't seen them uh, since 2015. So I would love this year to be reunited again and see each other. We really hope to see that too. Kitty, what's your goal this year? Not to get mad. Not to get (laughs) mad. Well, um, I genuinely hope I can achieve this. I'm going to try and be a bit bit easier on myself and try and be a bit kinder to myself and put less pressure on myself because Mm. I have found increasingly in the last few years that I have, um, and I think a lot of women do this, I've tried to be perfect at home and I'm a single mother working full time. So I've tried to have home cooked meals all the time, a clean house, you know, a a great worker um, and working. And I find that I'm working at home on my laptop in the evenings. I'm worrying about work when I'm off. I'm stressing about whether the kids have the perfect home cooked meal um, and whether all the laundry is sorted and all that kind of thing. And I'm just going to try and be a little, go a little bit easier on myself because I've found that I've actually been getting pains in the back of my neck and I'm not sleeping properly and everything. And I think, you know, this is how you end up in an early grave, isn't it? And I don't want that. And I don't think my kids want that. So I'm going to try and, and I think all women should try and mm-hmm. do that because I think working mothers in particular are incredibly hard on ourselves, and um, that would be and that would be my goal, I suppose, for working mothers generally, and for single mothers in particular to get a break um, in terms of supports from um, fr- in terms of homelessness and and um, childcare and all that kind of thing. I think um, I think single mothers and mothers in general have a pretty hard time in this country. Well, Kitty, I'm going to text you every so often to remind you of that particular goal. Um, Alison, thank you so much for coming in. Kitty, thank you so much for coming in. I really hope you stick to your goal. And Roseanne, you sound as though you're a powerhouse of creativity and we look forward to seeing a lot more of you on the Women's Podcast as well as elsewhere. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year. That's all we have time for. Thanks so much to our panel, Kitty Holland, Razan Ibrahim and Alison O'Connor for gazing into their crystal balls. Do keep an ear out for our next episode, which marks the Feast of the Epiphany or Nolignamon or Women's Christmas. And we have a whole parade of brilliant women, from Margaret Atwood to Samantha Power, giving us their epiphany moments. We hope 2020 will be a bit brighter everywhere for women and for all our listeners too. We want to wish you a very happy 2020 from all of us here on the Women's Podcast. We'll be bringing you lots of great thought-provoking content all year and one of our goals is to grow the Women's Podcast listenership but also to engage more with this wonderful community that we know is out there. So do keep listening and we'll be letting you know about new ways you can get involved in 2020. The podcast is produced by Roisin Engel and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and I'll talk to you next time. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.